I trust that uh, this message will be an offering to the King, to the Lord. As you know, it is, uh, you can see here by the table in front of me that it is Communion Sunday, and um, I just asked you as we go through the message this morning that you'll be contemplating where your heart is in regards to the Lord. Uh, here at our church, um, we believe that coming to the communion table is between you and God to examine your heart and to acknowledge those things within your heart that uh, are not right, not good, and immediately his grace and his, what we've just sung about, his love just washes us over. His blood will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then we can take the communion together rightly. And so I just want to mention that to you this morning. Um, I've titled this message this morning, Let's Be Truthful. Let's be truthful. And when you see the content of what we're going to look at in Acts chapter 5, and we're going to just review a little bit at the end of 4 there, but I mean, it didn't take too long before uh, deceitfulness came into the, into the church. And I, and I just, and there's a warning here for us what happens when we're not truthful, when we are deceitful. Um, it's, it's tough thing, stuff to even the idea of bringing this, but I do pray that even the message, again, would be an act of worship to God. Um, let me read the verses in chapter 5 and then we'll, of Acts and then we'll uh, review a little bit of 4 and then talk about uh, what's going on here. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, so this is a couple working together, sold a piece of property and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit, and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, this is, this is really, man, this sort of... When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. I think some translation says he fell down dead. Wow! And great fear, understandably, came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. That was it. Boom, quick. He dropped down dead. Young men run in, wrap him up, take him out, bury him. No call to the family, no. Let's have some mourning. He's already buried. And then it says, verse 7, after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Can you imagine this? You walk in, you don't know that your husband came in and was asked a question, and he lied. He wasn't truthful, dropped dead, rolled up in whatever it was, taken out and buried. You don't know that. You're just, now, you're, now you come in. After about three hours, his wife came in, 
not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Obviously, he gave the price. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Now, when I first saw that, I thought, you know, we always love to have meeting and greeting and hugging and smiling, and, and we like to encourage one another. And I thought, Lord, can we just kind of skip this and then go on to, you know, other things that seem to be a lot more positive than what happens when we're not truthful, when we're deceitful, when we're steaming. But we, ought to, we need to look at this because it just shows us that our heart needs little help to be deceitful. I think if you, if you really admit it, if you really look at your own heart, we don't need a lot of help to be deceitful. Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? God understands it. But that's the scripture we're going to look at this morning. Let's look at just the previous verses in chapter 4 that we looked at the last few weeks to help us understand this context, to get this idea of this husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, selling some land, contriving together to tell some lies, not to bring the whole thing in, to keep some back for themselves, and now they're gone. What happened here? What caused them to be deceitful, do you think? So when the full number of the disciples, about 5,000 believers in Christ, they, came, they all came together. Remember, we talked about this. There's been a, a man crippled from birth, healed, miraculously standing amongst them. And then the residents of Jerusalem have come and said, what is this all about? And they gave opportunity for testimony of what Jesus Christ, it was the power of Christ. And then the religious leaders, remember, they came, they confronted them, jailed them even, and they explained to them it was the power of Christ, not us. That's what healed this man. That's why he's standing by us, healed. Wow. And then they threatened them, said, don't go preaching this gospel. Well, they did. Now they come together, and they gather together, and they're of one heart, and soul. We looked at that last week, how there ought to be amongst us uh, a oneness of heart and soul. What makes us unique? I asked that question last week. We looked at the contents of this. Well, what makes us unique? We should have one heart and soul. That's what they did here. And no one said that any of these things that belong to him, I'm reading verse 32, chapter 4, that any of these things that belong to him was his own. So there they're thinking about what their property, where their treasure is, there your heart is also. They really now have come to Christ. Everything is of God. It's not mine, not just mine. 
It is, it is for the purpose of whatever God would lead me to do with it. And he says, but they had everything in common. They shared. They made sure everyone was provided for. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace. So what made them unique? Oneness of heart, oneness of soul. Everything they had was to be shared amongst them, make sure no one was needy. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of what was sold. So I mentioned, I want to go back here because Ananias are witnessing this. They're witnessing people in the church. We call it the church, the believers. Making sure that nobody, everybody was cared for. Nobody was without. And so to make that happen, some of them went out and sold land. They sold houses to make sure that the proceeds would take care of all the needs of the church. So Ananias and Sapphira are watching this. They're witnessing this. Now, I'm going to suggest they wanted to be a part of this. They wanted to look the part, right? You know, wouldn't, don't you? When you know everyone is around, you've been generous. Somehow we want to be, you know, generous. So they said, they sold them, they brought them the proceeds of what was sold, verse 35, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And then, thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he's a Levite, he's a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money, laid it at the apostles' feet. This is what they're looking at. Ananias and Sapphira are watching this. Now, I think what help, might help us even get a, a, a real clear understanding of what was going on with this couple is to read what we call the Amplified Version of the Bible. The Amplified Version, if you, you can put this on your phone, by the way. You can find the Amplified Version on your phone. It's, it's, taken, it's taken the Greek language, which can mean a lot more in English than the few English words we use, just like when we translate from one language to another, there's understanding that we gain. And so when we, what they do in the Amplified Version, they, they take the multiple verses and they say, it, it, it means this, 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 and this. And the English says it means this. And depending on the translation, it might be slightly different. Amplified kind of tries to cover that whole gamut. So let me read those, those verses in the Amplified Version from chapter 5. Thinking of Ananias and Sapphira, watching the church sell land and property, give it, lay it at the apostles' feet, the full amount, and making sure everyone was cared for, they want to be a part of that. Wouldn't you? At least look the part. But a certain man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge and connivance, he kept back and wrongfully appropriated some of the proceeds, bringing a part only and putting it at the feet of the apostles. With his wife's knowledge, they were conniving, and they were wrongfully appropriating the funds. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to think about your own home now. You know, you go home and you go, yeah, this is going on, and what do you think? Well, I want to be a part of it, but... I don't think we're quite there where everybody else is. Well, let's try and look the part. Let's try and at least look the part. So they're, they're, they're making this, 
this plan together. And so they're only going to put part of it at his feet. But then Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart that you should lie to and attempt to deceive the Holy Spirit and should, in violation of your promise, withdraw secretly and appropriate to your own use part of the price from the sale of the land? And can you imagine Ananias standing there? He's, he's, he's connived and plotted this thing with his wife. And now he's there on his own, not his wife by his side. And he's answering Peter like what they planned to say. But Peter knows something. And as long as it remained unsold, was it not still your own? And even after it was sold, was not the money at your disposal and under your control? Why then is it that you have proposed and purposed in your heart to do this thing? How could you have the heart to do such a deed? You've not simply lied to men playing false and showing yourself utterly deceitful, but to God. See, the lies aren't aren't necessarily to the people, to Peter. It is, but Peter's trying to make a point here. We have this oneness about us as Christians. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a one soulness about us, a one heart. We breathe spiritually forward together. We are filled with the same Spirit, God's Spirit. And so when we connive to do wrong, when we say we're not going to be truthful, ultimately we are lying to God, to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one. And so Peter says on here, how could you have had a heart to do such a deed? You have not simply lied to men playing false and showing yourself utterly deceitful, but to God. That's an important point. The lie wasn't just to say the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is God himself. You just lied to God. You contrived and finagled this plan between you and your wife. But now Peter's just addressing Ananias. And then upon hearing these words, Ananias fell down and died, and great dread and terror took possession of all who heard it. I can imagine it would. And the young men arose and wrapped up the body, carried it out, buried it. Now after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not having learned of what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me, did you sell the land for so much? Yes, she said, for so much. And Peter said to her, how could, you, how could you two have agreed and conspired together to try to deceive the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And instantly she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men entering found her dead and they carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And the whole church was appalled. Great awe and strange terror and dread seized them and all others who heard of these things. Do you think giving might be different after that? I mean, I'm like, uh, let's make sure that whatever I commit to is the truth. Let's not connive. Let's not try just to, because somebody does this or somebody is so super generous. You know, the Bible makes it clear that when, when and I'm not going to get into a message about giving this morning, which, which is fine to get into, but we give out of what we have. God wants us to give out of our abundance. 
not out of our lack. He wants us to trust him and be faithful to him. And whatever the Bible says a man is determined in his heart to give, that he ought to give. So there is some determination that goes on in your heart. But the key is, is to be truthful. Truthful with God. Now, I have to confess to you that, that some of you heard this, but when Pauline and I were, were coming into the church for the f- brand new, we actually started going to a Lutheran church in the morning and to this Christian and Missionary Alliance church in the evening, which was meeting at the health club. So September 7th, 1986 was my first Sunday. Now God moved, and I was, as I shared, I was, I was at the altar asking for prayer. I had a miserable week. I went back on September 14th, and um, then I really told the church what was my problems, what I was dealing with. They prayed for me. Here I am today. Praise God. I'm still a work in progress, but hopefully I keep living truthfully with God and with you. But what, the, what was happening there in that evening service, you see, was there was no offering plate passed around. And in the morning at the Lutheran church, there was an offering plate. So when Pauline said, well, which church are you feeling like you should go to? I thought, the Christian and Mission Alliance church. They don't ask for your money. <laughs> I am dead serious. Well, then we decide to go there in the morning, September 21st. And to my surprise and my shock and awe, here comes this plate. And I'm thinking, what is this? Well, I know I found out they just don't do an offering in the evening. They just do one in the morning. <laughs> and Pauline laughed about it. She thought it was funny because I had a struggle with this whole thing. A man has to determine in his own heart. But let's get back to Ananias and Sapphira. This whole idea of being truthful and let us be truthful. It didn't take long, like I said. Or I said that the, doesn't, the heart doesn't need much encouragement to be deceitful because the heart is deceitful above, desperately wicked and above all things, and who can understand it? Well, God does. But this deceitful scheming, mutual knowledge and connivance, that's what they were involved in, and I'll leave that to you to wrestle with. Make sure that when you are in your home and you're discussing what you should do with God, when he's calling you to do something, to be obedient to him, and you as now some of you are single here, you'll have to have a conversation with yourself, which we all do, right? We all have conversations with ourselves. And make sure it's yourself that the one you're talking to is the one that's been crucified, not the one in the flesh, you know. Have a talk with, well, sometimes you can rebuke the one in the flesh. Hey, get out of here. I'm, I'm done with you. You're dead. But when you're a husband and wife talking to you, uh, make sure that you're saying, what is the right thing for us to do? What is God leading you in? How is God leading you? And we challenge one another. Because in a, in a, in a couple, in a home, you'll find that one of you is going to be very generous and one of you is a little bit tight-fisted, a little bit, you know, holding on to things. And, uh, and, and there's a balance in that, you know. Otherwise, uh, yeah, you, you might be like the rich. No, you wouldn't be like the, you'd be the opposite of the rich young, young ruler. You would just go sell everything, give it all away, and then you'd have absolutely nothing, right? Well, God says if you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. You have to kind of figure that out. But anyway, whatever it is you decide, I'm getting off the track here. Make sure that you, you're not deceitfully steaming. You're simply having honest conversation and trying to determine what is God saying 
by the Holy Spirit to you. So whatever you determine to do in your heart, you've agreed to it. God knows it. When someone asks you, you're answering honestly. Now, God puts in the church men like Peter. God puts in the church men and women and women that have a gift of discernment. Peter had a gift of discernment. That's how he could look at Ananias and ask him a question. It was he knew, he knew that Ananias was lying. How did he know? From what Bible teaches us, the Bible teaches us that God, through his spirit, gives us gifts. One of those gifts is discernment, and he discerned it. And he asked Ananias, and it was proven that Peter was right. His gift was in good operating order. Peter's discernment, he asked asked him a question. Man, I wrote down so many scriptures here for that. I feel like I need to have you uh, Google or look in in your back of your Bible, look at references to discernment and study the gifts of discernment and how that operates in Scripture. It is a very real gift, and it was, it's much needed. But it's, I find it interesting in that discernment that Peter's asking a question, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? But he also makes the statement, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now, I might be wrong here. There's inferences. Obviously, we see the enemy at work in the people that are coming and opposing the message of Christ. But I think this is the first mention of Satan in the book of Acts. It didn't take him too long to get a mention because he's a wily thing and he's at work. So what, what Peter's recognizing is that this work of Satan can get into our hearts, into your heart, and cause you to be deceitful, not truthful, and scheme, and plot. And it's, it's not a good result if we do that. Let me give you some encouragement here, if you will, in regards to this Satan. Is that this, and Ananias was not the only one who befell or was befallen by the work of this Satan. Jesus himself, remember Jesus now? Jesus, as soon as he entered into ministry, was right away taken into the desert to be tempted by the devil. So Jesus himself was tempted at the very beginning of his ministry. Paul himself, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, he said that to keep Paul from being conceited because of the tremendously spiritual insights he had, he was given a messenger in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. There was given me a thorn in the flesh. When we hear that, oh, he was given this thorn in the flesh. What was that thorn? It was a messenger of Satan sent to torment him. And three times he pleaded with God, take this messenger from me. And God says, nope, My grace is going to be sufficient for you. In fact, in your weakness and temptation to maybe lean into him, you lean into me and I will make you strong in that weakness. 
So understand that we're not alone. We all have the heart that's easily can move down to not being truthful, to being deceitful. But Jesus was tempted and he overcame the devil. Paul was tormented and he found a way through by God's grace. And Joshua in the Old Testament, remember him? He was standing and had been accused by the devil before God that he's got dirty, he's got a dirty turban, dirty clothes, and he ought to be condemned to hell. And what, what, what did God through the angel tell him? Take off his dirty robes, filthy robes, put on a new turban, put on clean clothes. Right when the devil's standing right there, God clothed him with cleanliness. We ought to know that. God will always, the Bible says, give us a way of escape. When we are tempted, when we're trying to connive things, there's always that way of escape. The Holy Spirit speaking to you, whispering to you, don't do this, don't go that way. And he's saying, just listen to me. Don't listen to the voices that are not good. Because our heart wants to go there because it just feels good to be deceitful and dishonest. Don't do it. And the Bible tells us, how do you do it? Well, James tells us, if we will submit yourself, if you'll submit yourself to God and resist the devil, he's going to flee from you. So if you get tempted, just resist him and devil will flee from you. Now, in the book of Ephesians 4.27, he says, don't even give this devil a foothold. Don't even give him a foothold. You ever had a salesman at your door? I used to do door-to-door selling. I always tried to get the person to open the door and then put my foot in the door. You know, because I knew they wanted to close it. And if you got your foot in the door, well, I got a big foot. The door stays, it closes, it closes, it's right there. Well, the, devil, the Bible tells us don't give him a foothold. Don't even open the door so he can get his foot in. Don't give him a foothold. And to protect us, the Bible tells us in Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. Why? So you can take your stand against the devil's steams. He is a steaming, wily thing. The Bible also tells us 1 Peter is full of this stuff. Ananias didn't have all this at the time. Through the Holy Spirit, been full, he should have. Should have been there for him. Now we've got these, these messages from us, these letters that encourage us, that teach us and train us. And Peter says, be self-controlled and alert. Always be ready. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So there you go. There is a way out of this. We don't have to enter into deceitful scheming. There's going to be in the church people discerning, and if you have that gift of discernment, don't be afraid to walk up to somebody if you really know in your heart that you need to confront somebody in a loving way. Remember, speak the truth in love. Go do it and speak the truth. Ultimately, God is going to work in that. The person will come under great conviction. How did he know? Because God showed me. The truth will be disclosed. But remember, the lying is to the Holy Spirit and ultimately to God himself. Let's not do that. Let's not get into that. So as you come to the communion table today and as you start to think about this and you start to think about 
uh, being truthful and being honest. That's what the table is asking us. A person ought to examine himself, herself, before you come to the table and see if there's anything in you that would be not truthful. And then just confess it to God. And then you come clean and pure to God for a deep cleansing work. Remember, the, it, it, we do it in remembrance of what he did. Forgive him, Father. They know not what they do. They're crucifying me. Well, let's not crucify him all over again. He's already done it for us. I think I'm going to leave it at that for today and ask you to take a look at your heart this morning and think about Ananias and Sapphira. Think about your own conversations with God. Say, where am I? Have I been really truthful with God, with the Holy Spirit, with my brothers and sisters? Ultimately, that's where it lies. If you hear a young young child, you you can't understand yet, but you will one day. But are we truthful with our mom and dad? You know? I mean, God wants to come and fill our heart, no matter how young we are. And he wants to give us that hope and that strength because he loves us so much. And he wants honesty and truthfulness in the home. The best form is to be honest with your parents. I can't help but share this because I've, I've share, I'm sure I've shared it here before. But this is just for parents and for you kids maybe. Is that my dad always had this philosophy and I took it on myself. Maybe you'll do this when, you're, when she's growing up. Maybe not. But my dad would say to us, if something got broken, like a, a window, one time my brother broke an alarm clock. He he hated it. He threw it out the window. It broke. And uh, my dad, my dad, I remember my dad talking to him. And he said, John, did you throw that alarm clock outside? John said, no. And that was what my dad always did. My dad always asked you, and he always asked you three times. And, And he would always say, you tell me the truth and there's no spanking. Now, I know a lot of parents don't believe in spanking, and I, and I, I have to be very careful with that. But my dad's point was, you tell me the truth, you won't get a spanking. And he held to it. And there was times when he didn't want to hold to it, I believe. But that day with my brother John, my brother lied three times. And my dad spanked him. Now, I think I cried more than John watching him get spanked. But the thing is, when you come to God, God already knows. The gift of discernment knows. And he says, look, just be honest with me. Tell me the truth. And I think God asks us three times because he knows our hearts. And he knows how difficult it is sometimes just to be honest. But, oh, my, my dad, I knew he loved us. But Christ is a perfect father. God is a perfect father who loves us perfectly. And he's looking at you and saying, have you been truthful with me this week? Now let's go to the table. I ask my elders to come up and we'll pass out the bread.